Well, good afternoon and welcome to Truth 101. I am Dr. Greg Ammon, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Church of Garland. And Truth 101 is a podcast where we look at aspects of the Christian faith in a systematic way. And I'm so glad that you've joined us. We are now going into our 500 series in Truth 101. We're looking in this series at the resurrected Christ. The resurrected Christ. In this episode and the next episode, I'm going to talk about specific details of the resurrection of Jesus. So let's get started. In question 73 of Calvin's Geneva Catechism, it states, quote, The third day he rose again from the dead. By this he declared himself the conqueror of death and sin. For by his resurrection he swallowed up death, broke the fetters of the devil, and destroyed all his power, end quote. The resurrection of Jesus is the best news that humanity could ever receive. In fact, Lewis and Demarest state Christianity is, quote, a religion of resurrection. And that's true. The resurrection is the basis of all of our faith. There have been a lot of founders of religious movements. They've been born but they're all dead and they remain buried. Christianity is unique in that its founder, Jesus, is the only one who ever resurrected from the dead. He walked the earth 40 days afterwards, then ascended to heaven with the promise that he's coming again. So this is not only hope of the believer, but it is the certainty of the Christian faith. And You know, I don't think it was as much the ethical teachings of Jesus or even his noble death that gave birth to the Christian church and made it spread, it was the news of the resurrection. That was the message of the early apostles and disciples that really transformed their world. Jesus did resurrect, and Jesus is alive. Now, what's interesting about the resurrection of Jesus is this. There were There were many witnesses that watched Jesus' crucifixion, but there were no witnesses of his resurrection. Nobody was there when it happened, and there are no attempts in the New Testament to try to describe it. The resurrection stories are are not accounts of the resurrection itself. They're primarily appearances of the risen Christ afterwards. Now, because of that, there are a lot of theories purported by critics out there as to what happened to the body of Jesus. I'm going to mention a few of those in in just a moment. But the Christian faith is, is not faith in an empty tomb. It's faith in the risen Christ. There's a difference. It's interesting The faith of the earliest believers was not founded on arguments about the empty tomb. It was founded upon their encounter with the risen Christ. So even though you can argue about the empty tomb and what happened to the body, and I'll share with you some theories in a moment, it's not arguments about the empty tomb that changes the life. It's the encounter, an encounter with the risen Christ that changes a life. Now, the Bible is very clear that 
that God raised Jesus from the dead. 1 Corinthians 1.4, Philippians 2.9, both make it very clear God raised Jesus from the dead. The New Testament does not speak of the resurrection as the result of some kind of inner divine power that Jesus mustered up and he survived death and it enabled him to live again. No, he was dead. He was truly, totally, and completely dead. And this fact contradicts the message that you hear a lot of people at Easter time saying that the resurrection is just another example of the recurrence of spring. The analogy of trees and flowers coming back to life again after lying dormant over the winter, that, that's very common in pagan mythologies. That's not what happened to Jesus. That is not the story of Jesus' resurrection. Do not mistake Jesus' resurrection for just another springtime story of things lying dormant and coming back to life again. Jesus was totally dead. And he came back to life fully once again. He wasn't simply reborn after winter. He was not temporarily revived like Lazarus or Jairus' daughter. He was totally and truly dead. So the doctrine of the resurrection is not a sentimental assurance that, well, death is not so bad after all, since our inmost selves do not actually die. The resurrection of Jesus is the radical good news of the powerful love of God that is stronger than death. Now, the biblical writers, they're very clear in their emphasis that Jesus is the same person they had known before the crucifixion. He walked, he talked, he ate with them, they touched him. He was not a ghost, he was not a phantom he was the real, resurrected Jesus. And the New Testament emphasizes that, the physical, bodily resurrection of the risen Christ. Now, let's look at, at some of what the Bible tells us about the resurrection. On Easter Sunday morning, the, the tomb was found to be empty by the women. Not realizing Jesus had been raised from the dead, several of the women went to the tomb so they could anoint his body. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, and Joanna are the four that are mentioned in, in Matthew. And Matthew tells us that there was a violent earthquake and an angel of the Lord, a young man it says, came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. So the angels coming to roll away the stone was not designed to let Jesus out. It was designed to allow witnesses into the tomb to see that it was empty. So angelic messengers greeted the women and, and, and asked them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And then after that, Responding to the news brought by Mary Magdalene that Jesus' body was missing and the tomb was empty, Peter and John then raced to the tomb and they found it empty. They saw the grave clothes that had wrapped the body of Jesus. Everything was in perfect order. The grave clothes had collapsed upon themselves. There was no scattering of clothes as if the body had been stolen. In fact, the mention of the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head and face as folded up by itself 
seem to have special meaning to John. Perhaps a special circumstance personally associated with Jesus. So John tells us that when he had saw this, he saw and believed. Now, it's possible that at this point, John became the first person to realize that Jesus was alive from the dead. The women questioned, maybe they believed, but that doesn't appear to be the case at first. It looks like maybe John was the first to actually believe. He's the first one the Bible records as believing. And then, immediately after that, starting in Matthew 28, verse 11, there is a plot by the religious leaders to cover up the story. The soldiers who had been guarding the tomb reported to the Jewish chief priests what had happened. Matthew tells us, chapter 28, verse 2, that the soldiers had experienced the earthquake and had seen the angel. And the guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. The chief priest then bribed them to say that Jesus' disciples came during the night and stole away the body while they were sleeping. And they promised to intervene with Pilate when their sleeping came to his attention. So, immediately there was a plot by the religious leaders to cover up the fact that Jesus uh, had, had resurrected. Now, from that day, there in Matthew 28, until today, there are still attempts to try to deny the resurrection of Jesus and to explain away the empty tomb. I want to mention five primary theories that you hear today uh, as to what happened to the body and try to explain away the empty tomb. These are five of the major theories that have been suggested to explain the empty tomb and deny the resurrection to which the fact of the empty tomb pointed. I think really the real problem in the minds of those who have developed these theories is philosophical. It's not theological or it's not even a lack of evidence. It's more, I think, philosophical. They don't want to believe, so they have to come up with some explanation as to what happened to the body and why the tomb's empty. Theory number one is called the stolen body theory. In fact, Matthew actually records this theory first. Justin Martyr, who was a second century church father, wrote that the stolen body theory was still in circulation in his day, 200 years after the resurrection. That story was still in circulation that somebody came and stole the body. Well, there are several problems with this theory. First of all, uh, soldiers who sleep on guard duty customarily lose their lives for such neglect of duty. That's one thing. You have, you have guards who have no motivation to make up the story because their life could very well depend on the tomb being empty. Uh, secondly, there was an astonishing change in the disciples. They were cowards at the cross, but they were courageous even giving up their life after the resurrection. You can't explain 
the change in the disciples by a stolen body theory. If they had stolen the body, that meant they would have lied about what they were preaching and lied about what they died for. Liars and martyrs, as John Stott says, are not cut out of the same cloth. Um, so they, they were not liars. If they, if they were lying about the body being resurrected and they had actually stolen it, why would you die for a known lie? Another problem with the stolen body theory, producing the body by the religious leaders would have destroyed the claims of the disciples. If, if the body's stolen, produce a body. Find the body. And, and after you find it, you can cease all the resurrection stories. Uh, here's another problem with the stolen body theory. Is it possible the soldiers could have slept through all that commotion of stealing the body? That would have required moving a three-ton rock and going through the, un, unwrapping the body because the grave clothes were still there, unwrapping the body and dragging a naked Jesus away. You mean they slept through all that? And then you would have would have to have rewound and restored all the linen wrappings because the linen wrappings were like they were when they laid him in the tomb. So you're going to have to rewind all of those and restore all the linen wrappings to their original configuration for the stolen body to have been true. Now that theory doesn't hold much water. Let's go to the second theory, the swoon theory. The swoon theory is the argument that Jesus did not really die on the cross. He, he merely lapsed into a coma. Now this is a rather recent theory. It's only been around a few several centuries. It does not go all the way back to Jesus' day. In fact, it was first suggested by a Muslim group, the Ahmadiyya movement, uh, and that was that's where the swoon theory actually started. That Jesus just passed out on the cross and then came to while he was in the tomb when the cool air came around, and he he woke up and he rolled the stoner away and walked out, and everybody yelled resurrection. Well, there are some problems with this theory. First problem is the flogging that Jesus endured at the hands of the Roman soldiers was so vicious that just the flogging alone often caused the death of the prisoner. I talked about this in a sermon series I preached a while back on the, on the death of Jesus and just how severe a Roman flogging really was. Second problem with the swoon theory is the Roman soldiers... Familiar with death, they acknowledged that Jesus was dead. They, they had no problem taking his body down and burying it. They knew he was dead. Not only that, the, the blood and water that came from the spear in the side of Jesus, when the soldier ran his spear up into Jesus' side, blood and water mixed together is evidence of a ruptured heart. Oh, he, he was dead. There's no evidence that the enemies of Jesus ever doubted he was dead. Their only concern was fear of fraud on the part of the disciples. And the swoon theory was never proposed by any source in the early Christian church or any of the early Christian centuries. 
And not only that, with the swoon theory, to suppose that a person so weakened by, like Jesus and so near death could escape the linen wrappings and their 100 pounds of gummy spices used to prepare the body, walk over to a three-ton stone, shove it aside, walk out undetected by the guards, and convince the disciples that he actually came back from the dead. That, that is way too much to even believe. Third theory, the hallucination theory. This theory suggests that all those who are recorded as having seen the resurrected Jesus were simply hallucinating. He wasn't real. They, they wanted so badly for him to be alive, they were hallucinating that he was back. But there are some problems with that theory as well. Even psychology, even modern psychology will tell you that people who hallucinate do not hallucinate in groups. Hallucinations are very individual. A person may hallucinate. But the Bible tells us 500 people saw Jesus at one time. That would have meant 500 people would have had to hallucinate the exact same thing at the exact same moment. The followers of Jesus, they were not expecting a resurrection. They were not even hoping for a resurrection. They knew that he was definitely dead. And not only that about the hallucination theory, some of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, they were not just mere glances of Christ. Oh, oh, I think I saw him. No, no, they were prolonged conversations they had with him. It wasn't just a fleeting glimpse. Oh, oh, there was Christ. Oh, I think it was Christ. It wasn't a hallucination. They had conversations at length with him. No, the hallucination theory does not hold water. Fourth theory. The wrong tomb theory. Um, the women especially laugh at this one. Let me tell you why. It goes something like this. The wrong tomb theory says, when the women went to the tomb early the next morning, it was dark, and they were in grief, and they were confused, and you know how emotional women can get, and they just got things mixed up. And they went to the wrong tomb. And there was a young man there who was the angel nearby, tried to direct them to the right tomb and they wouldn't listen to him. They kept going to the wrong one that was empty. And they simply went to the wrong tomb and that's why it was empty, but Jesus didn't really resurrect. Well, that's the wrong tomb theory, but let me tell you some problems with that theory. First of all, if the women did go to the wrong tomb, all the enemies of Jesus would have to do is go to the right tomb, get his body, and produce a body. And the resurrection stories cease. If it's the wrong tomb they went to, go to the right one. Get the body, drag it out, show everybody here's Jesus' body. And the resurrection stories end right there. Not only that, Mary Magdalene and the other women had watched the burial, according to Matthew 27, verse 55, 
with Mary Magdalene and the other Mary very near the site, Matthew 27, 61. So they knew exactly where he was buried. And those people who suggest this theory cite part of the statement of the young man, the angel, but they ignore that the angel also declared he is risen. The angel even told us what happened. So, you can tell from these theories, the fifth one, of course, the impersonate theory. I just briefly mentioned it, that, that Jesus didn't really die. Well, he actually died, but in the resurrection, someone impersonated him. Uh, it wasn't really Jesus. They walked around, and they just thought it was him. But the problem with that theory is, go to his tomb, get his body, and even the impersonation stories end. You can't impersonate Christ if Christ is dead in the grave. Go to the body, the tomb, and get his body. And the impersonation theory ceases. So, and not only that, Jesus afterwards walked through locked doors. How do you impersonate that? Well, all of these theories show us very clearly that, that Jesus did resurrect, and those who try to claim that he did not are merely just basing that on, on the fact that they do not want to believe, and they're trying to come up with reasons that they can't believe. Let me tell you, mention just very briefly the post-resurrection appearances, eight of those, and, and then we'll wrap up this episode. And next episode, I'll talk more about the resurrection of Jesus and what it actually means for us today. The post-resurrection appearances, there were, there were eight of them. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared eight times. One, he appeared to Mary Magdalene in Mark 16, verses 9 through 11. Remarkable that Jesus' first appearance after the resurrection was to a woman because in the Jewish culture, a woman's testimony would be suspect. They had a conversation there, and Jesus explained then, of course, that she was not visiting with the gardener and that he indeed was Mary. He indeed was Jesus, as he said to Mary. Second appearance was to the other women, Matthew 28, verses 9 and 10. Matthew tells us of briefly. Jesus meeting and greeting the other women who had come to the tomb. And then a third appearance of Jesus was to two disciples traveling to Emmaus. Emmaus being a small village about seven miles northwest of Jerusalem. Two disciples were journeying toward their home. Jesus joined them as they walked along. They did not recognize it was Jesus. When Jesus asked about their sadness, they told of the crucifixion. And Jesus used the Hebrew scriptures to show them why the events were necessary. And then their eyes were opened after Jesus broke bread with them. They suddenly realized it was him and he disappeared from their midst. And they ran back into Jerusalem telling everyone of the resurrection. The fourth appearance came in Luke 24 where Jesus appeared to Simon Peter. Not a lot of other details are mentioned. Paul does refer to it in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 5. But no other uh, details are given in Luke 24, 34, other than Jesus appeared to Simon Peter. The fifth appearance, Jesus appeared to ten assembled disciples in Luke 24, verses 36 to 43. Late on the day of the resurrection, Jesus appeared to ten of his disciples, Thomas being absent, and when he showed them his hands and his side, John gives us a marvelous understatement 
the disciples were overjoyed when they saw it was the Lord. The sixth appearance was to the eleven assembled disciples. It was one week later, John chapter 20, verses 26 to 31. This time, Thomas was with them, and aware that, that he was doubting, Jesus invited Thomas to put your finger here and see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas, never having to put his finger in the prince, declared one of the greatest affirmations of Jesus' deity in Scripture when he says, My Lord and my God. Appearance number seven, then, Jesus appeared to seven disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Simon Peter, was out fishing with the disciples. They'd caught nothing. But as the morning came, Jesus then gave them instructions. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. And it resulted in a huge catch. And Jesus then affirmed his love for Peter and restoring him three times there beside the Sea of Galilee. That was the seventh time Jesus appeared to someone. And then the eighth and final time before his ascension, Jesus appeared to the eleven in Galilee recorded in Mark 16, verses 15 to 18, as well as Matthew 28, 16 through 20. As Jesus had previously directed, the 11 disciples went to, the, went to Galilee to an appointed place to meet him. Other disciples followed. Uh, Paul notes that there were 500. The phrase, but some doubted, is intriguing, but some were doubting. But when they saw Jesus, they realized that he truly was alive. Eight different appearances Jesus made over the span of 40 days after the resurrection to prove that he truly is alive. Well, I praise God today for the resurrection of Jesus, knowing that he's a risen Lord, knowing that my faith does not rest in an empty tomb, but in a resurrected Christ. Praise God for that. Thank God for the Easter season the resurrection and all that it means. In the next episode, we'll talk a little more about the resurrection of Jesus, what happened with the ascension, and what it means for us today in the resurrection of Jesus. God bless you. Uh, join us again next week. Look forward to it.